All right. Awesome. Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us. Today, we have Tori with us. Can you please introduce yourself? For sure. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tori McKillop. I'm the director now of Furniture Equipment and Design at Ellis Dawn, but I've had the benefit of a, a great almost 18 years here with Ellis Dawn. It's a great company to work at and grow within, and uh, it's afforded me a lot of different careers within it. Awesome. Yeah, that's where we're, we're fortunate enough to meet you there. So, And we've seen you actually in your previous role. I think that's where we met you. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I used to be the director of um, energy and digital services. Uh, and more specifically, I led our design build team. So we were working quite closely with Global on a lot of the packages for the P3s that we were submitting. That's right. And that's where you met Allison and I and thought, oh my gosh, you are these crazy people and I need to get away from them now. <laughs> <Yeah>. No, no, no. <laughs> it's all been good. It's been a lot of fun. So welcome to our podcast. Um, so Alison and I are just going to go back and forth on some questions just to get to know you. Um, the first question is, what led you to the ICAT industry? Um, was there a specific program that you studied for um, that got you into the industry or was it just by chance? I would say it's 100% by chance. Um, my deg first degree is in mechanical engineering. And I joined Alistan as an M&E coordinator, but I focused primarily on the M, not so much on the E. And uh, fast forward a few years, my career had taken sort of a, a full circle turn within Alistan. And, and now I was leading um, our energy and digital services team, as I said previously, where I was focused primarily on the E and um, all of the elements that were going into our design build projects with you know specific focus and attention on the ICAT systems in particular. So I think it's fair to say that when you know I'm looking in the rear view mirror, it's a lot of dots that I can connect, but never could I have imagined looking out the front of the car that those dots would come together into the great career that I've enjoyed so far. Did you did you think when you were younger that this was kind of what you wanted to be or was there something I know because I want to ever ask my daughters like what do, what do you want to be when you grow up and it's it varies every day but was this something that you thought about when you're younger or going through you know post-secondary education or not post-secondary previous to post-secondary? Um, again I would have to say no I mean I think that when I was graduating from high school my focus was obviously to get you know a science or math degree um, and I was primarily really interested in biology um, but my dad Lord love him uh, <laughs> said Tor what in the world are you going to do with a degree in biology you you don't really like kids and I don't <laughs> think that you would go forward you know at, in a teaching role and I said well dad I really want to go to medical school and he said well there's a lot of other ways to get to medical school and and have a useful degree why don't you consider engineering and uh, and so I did and uh, to be honest again um, I applied to a various number of universities across Canada all for chemical engineering because I was really enjoying chemistry um, and I took a spot at Western because it was a common first year and I wasn't entirely confident. And, you know, eight months later, I was ticking the box for mechanical engineering, not chemical engineering. So you, you need to roll with it. And I think 
it's been a lot of fun. And I, I don't think that you necessarily have to have a, a direct path forward for your career. And then unless obviously you want to be a, a doctor or a lawyer or something like that, there's specific training, but it's been a lot of fun to just sort of uh, roll with the punches and, and see where life takes me. No, for sure. And that's so the same way I feel too, is that a lot of people in our industry have landed here by accident, by chance. And it's interesting because we never even knew about the industry, but once you get into it, you just see how broad it is and and how big it is and kind of how it plays into every single um, sort of occupation as well, right? Because it plays into healthcare, it plays into um, financial, um, government, and also education, right? So it's kind of cool because you are kind of in different spaces and trying to maneuver on that. But yeah, everybody here like lands in here by accident, <laughs> like no one's here on purpose kind of in a kind of funny way, but yeah. It's a good sure. point though, Bertine, because I, I think probably 20 years ago when I was going through school, not to carbon date myself, um, <laughs> you know, ICAT wasn't really a thing at that point. You know, people were just sort of tapping into the um, usefulness of email and the internet, et cetera. And I mean, we certainly did not have sights on, you know, the future and, and where we would be in 2021. No, for sure. And it's funny because we were talking about it when, when the pandemic started. We were saying it's funny because for years we've been kind of trying to get our clients to adopt video um, and <laughs> kind of talking to them about it. And it's kind of like, yeah, well, we, we understand the need for it and all that, but there's really no need necessity for it and and we're like okay you know some clients adopted a smaller version of it but now when the pandemic happened it helped people realize okay wait a minute first of all there's a there's actually an industry that does this properly (laughs) (laughs) and also um it can help us and it actually helped us maneuver around um you know the pandemic and and now people are rethinking the way they're using technology and it's crazy because People didn't even know this industry existed and how how people that are in there are now exposed to people that they would have never met if the pandemic didn't happen in, in kind of a weird way. But, yeah. And I think it's exciting to think about now that people have adopted video, what we could do with it. I mean, I think there's a lot to be done with remote healthcare um, providers in, uh, you know, the Canadian north uh, where doctors are not, you know, physically placed within some of those more remote remote communities. So it's exciting. Yeah, for sure. And that actually, we we do touch a little bit on that because we are a part of OTN, Ontario Telehealth Network, um, and we provide medical cards to those that are up north. And if, for example, if if patients don't have access to a specialized doctor or a specialized um, surgeon or anything like that they're able to have that visibility to that patient without having to move them so it's it's amazing what we can do now it's absolutely crazy but yeah yeah it's a love-hate relationship with the pandemic I feel like (laughs) love that it it made us embrace so many things but you know hate for obvious reasons which we're not going to get into that because it's been a long, what is it? I think I heard someone say 19 months the other day. It's actually 20 months. And the reason I know it is because our daughter was born on COVID Friday. So yes, nice. there we go. <laughs> right from the source, 20 yeah. months. 
<laughs> so yes, it's kind of surprising to me that my 20-month-old says "mummy's mask," and I, it's never a word you would have thought a toddler would know. Mask, but uh, here we are. You're so right. That's that's actually very very true. I it's crazy. It's so crazy to think about. So the next question, I feel like with a lot of people those around them make the biggest impact in their life and they make such a big influence. And what you were saying in the first question, um, I mean, even kind of resonated with me because when I was, you know, going out of high school, I graduated, I took a year off because I just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was having a similar conversation with my dad and I said, I don't know like what I want to go to school for. And he is, um, he has his, what is it? Bachelor in computer science. He has an MBA. Um, he's worked for a lot of technology companies and he's always been like a businessman. Right. And he said, why don't you try going into business? I think you'd be really good at marketing. And that is really what led me to apply to schools, go into it. And I ended up graduating with honors, which I can't even believe, but like I ended up loving it. Right. So, um, Leading into my next question is who has been the biggest influence on your life? I feel like we maybe got a little bit of knowledge into that possibly, but, um, you know, just wanted to know more about that because I think it really leads to shaping, you know, who someone is growing up into their life and, you know, how they are today. For sure. So, I mean, my parents, obviously, I am incredibly indebted to them. They've been huge supporters of me um, throughout my entire childhood, professional career, et cetera. So they're the foundation for sure. Um, I've had the benefit of many great mentors um, during my career. And I think each have been influential, not only in my professional life, but also in my personal life as well, in terms of how to best manage work-life balance, how to best manage going back to school as a mature student. Um, and how to return to the workplace um, after being gone for a year, whether that be for education or a mat leave. So, I mean, I think the most important thing is, is that there's merit and benefit in a mentoring program and being matched with someone, but ultimately you're going to match with someone without a formal program. And you'll start to rely upon that person for advice and guidance. And to me, those have been the best mentors I've had in my life. Those that have just grown organically to influence my not only professional life, but personal one as well. Yeah, it's weird because, you know, sometimes when we ask this question, it's like a lot of the answers come from like an indirect mentorship because like you said it's grown organically um it's someone that you didn't think was actually a huge influence on your life but turns out that they played a bigger part than than even you know right it could be anyone um a colleague a co-worker a manager but sometimes it's people that we don't expect um that have helped you along the way and sometimes it's good to think about that because um those are the people that really help us grow um and help us see the world differently because I know for when I started in the industry, it was hard to find any female role models because um, there weren't very many. Um, but the thing is, is like that's what I told myself is um, I need to be available for anyone that's out there that needs help because it's it's not easy to to get the right kind of help sometimes and or to to see it from the same perspective that you would. And sometimes I can come from very indirect resources so yeah for sure 
I agree. It it certainly is a little bit different when you're female navigating the industry, but I, I think that people are open to building any sort of relationship possible um, with someone if they're a, a true leader. For sure. And you, you actually touched on something that was like, I didn't even think about that, but mentorship after being on on like sort of a mat leave, because like it's not, it's, you think, oh yeah, you just go on mat leave and you come back and everything's like hunky dory, but it's really, it, it really changes the way you think in some ways too, because you've had to shift immensely to a different focus and um, you're in charge of someone's life <laughs> yeah. for whatever period of time. And then you have to kind of switch almost instantaneously back into the professional workplace mode. And it it's not that it takes time and it's been, it's been years for me <laughs> and yeah. it's still taking, cause it, it, it's a lot. Cause you really shift your focus. You shift your, your, your focus on something completely different. And when you're just going, go, 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 go professionally. Um, and then you have to kind of change direction and then kind of come back. It does, it does take a time and it, it helps if someone's been there before. Um, and I could say, you know, don't worry about this and, you know, please don't stress about that. It's not important. Just kind of grow, gradually, slowly get back into into the swing of things. And that's a, that was a really good point because I didn't think about that, but that's needed. Definitely. I think that, you know, so many people, I personally haven't been through that, but so many people are going to, you know, go into that, especially with Matt and Pat leaves. And I just can imagine how difficult that is because all of a sudden one day you're having meetings and adult conversations and then the next day you're you're not having adult conversations <laughs> and you're watching whatever kids show on TV, right? And then you're swinging back into it. Yeah. And there's even a transition from, you know, school back to professional life as well. I think that when you're in school, it's all about, you know, necessarily managing your own time and what you're interested in. Whereas once you come back to the professional world, there's a responsibility to the client and, and putting their priorities first. I always wonder if my kids realize how much of my headspace they consume, but it's, I know it's crazy. Cause like, you like, I just know that at the end of the day, there's such a massive rush to put them to bed, right? Like you just go, 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 go. And then when they when you put them to bed, this is like, uh, just like, I don't know, maybe it's just me. And then I miss them. I'm like, why did I, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh. <laughs> you're like looking at photos of them, but they're just sleeping upstairs. Is that weird? Is that awkward? Like, it's funny because you're just like rushing just to get them to sleep. And then you're like, the house is so quiet. And then I you think, that quiet. yeah, I love, <laughs> I love that quiet that, that you appreciate it way more. Yeah. <laughs> so when we were talking earlier about the industry, like, what do you think, I mean, this is a very broad um, question, but um, what do you think is the biggest challenge um, the industry is facing today? And what could be a, a, you know, a large challenge in a few years and say five or 10 years, something that we need to focus on now, maybe? I think that, you know, the immediate concern that I see from my side of the fence is um, knowledgeable and skilled individuals whether they're coming in at the project coordinator level, the design construction project management level, or the execution side, there's a serious lack of um, skilled and knowledgeable personnel. And people are almost becoming commoditized um, industry experts. And we need to pass that knowledge down to a future generation, um, as well as 
get that influence from that future generation to see where we will be in 10 years. I mean, we alluded to it before, but 20 years ago when I was going through school, you know, the internet was this new thing. Even if we take pause and look at where we were 20 months ago before the pandemic, you know, video really wasn't a thing. And and now it's the norm. I mean, we're sitting here today looking at one another. So heavens knows where we'll be in 10 years. But I think that what we need to be is fast, flexible and fluid, you know, ready to adapt and uh, move with our clients' needs and changes. I think we're going to see that the pandemic is here to stay, that work-life um, balance has changed and that people from working from home or in a hybrid environment will now be the norm. I'm lucky enough to be working on projects coast to coast with Elliston, and I've had the ability to connect with each client um, through video in the same way that much of the site team has been able to connect with that same client because everyone is being so cautious during uh, in uh, the pandemic. So it, it's been an interesting dynamic and I look forward to seeing where the, the industry goes. Yeah, and that's the same challenge we we see right in the pro AV industry as well. It's just getting skilled um, personnel in. And one of the things that we are doing, <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, behind the scenes is trying to work with educational institutions on providing almost a direct um, program that would lead them into our industry and working on co-op programs with them right now um, so that when they do, they, they actually know, hey, there's this industry that exists and actually I can study for it and I and I know that at the end of it I'll get a co-op placement. And that's what we're really striving for with a few institutions and that's what we're hoping will help, you know, that challenge in the next few years is getting some bright minds into the industry, um, especially seeing it from a different perspective because you know, some of us have been here very long and, you know, sometimes it's good to get a fresh pair of eyes and to see like what can be changed, what technologies is emerging that we haven't been aware of and try to stay on the cusp of that. So the next thing to look for in a candidate, I would say, would be curiosity. You know, the ability to to want to know what is going to be the next great thing. And uh, those people are hard to find. They're not um, necessarily the the same obvious skills set as somebody who's technically inclined um, so you have to balance that that curiosity with uh, the ability to actually understand the system yeah and I, I don't know if you feel the same way but I find that in previous um, they'd say oh you know we're worried about the next generation but it's weird because when I was starting off into the corporate world people always said show up to show that you're there so nine to five you're there you know, which was never a nine to five, but you're working hard as you can. But now it's more like bring something else different to the to the organization, not just showing us that you're working, bring ideas, bring creativity, you know, bring the passion and, and ambition, right? That's what sets you apart from different from others, right? And that's more important now these days than the, men, the mindset that you have to be sitting in an office from nine to five. You're right about the curiosity thing. Um, is very, very important. Things are going to change in like the flip of a coin. We've all seen that. And I mean, I think that also it's not just the skills that you see in a resume anymore. It's also the skills of like who that person is to their core. But and to your point, Allison, I mean, with the, the education element, I think what we're seeing now is that there's education happening in the industry all industries. And, you know, that's that evolution of that curiosity, the fact that people are living longer, the fact that 
I think there's a stat out there that basically everybody that's born um, in a first world country after the year 2000 will live a 100 year life. And mm. so what does that, yeah, it's a great book. It's called The 100 Year Life. And how people are going to navigate a career that, you know, traditionally would have been maybe 40, 45 years into that extension of a further 20 years. And the necessity for people to have to retool um, at least once, if not twice in their professional career. It's a great book. Well, I hope that I can push the boundary of that because I'm not born after 2000. But, you know, I hope that I can be like within that. Yeah, 100 percent. I think I think that the thing that is like really going to shift as well is having people move in from different countries and also the skilled um, set that they bring as well, which is very different. I mean, I can speak to, um, you know, different parts of of the world where, you know, when you're applying for a job, you're one of 10,000. Um, and they're all equally, they're all equally educated. Um, and they're all equally good for their, I mean, they're fit for the job, but what sets you apart, right? So it comes down to that. And it's, it's insane. If you go to India and you see lineups for jobs at Google or anywhere else, and they're hiring for maybe five positions and the number of people that come out to apply for that is in, insane. Wow. It's literally, it's a, it, like, it, it's, <laughs> if you, it's like walking there going, Oh, you know, I feel good about this. I feel good about this interview. And you walk in, there's like 10,000 people waiting for those jobs and you go, Oh my gosh, like what sets you apart? And it's because, I mean, for them, it's sheer volume of, of people that live there, but um, it's, it's like, very competitive, right? So what you have to set yourself apart from others if you're starting off with a level playing field. But it's, you know, and that's that's why a lot of you see a lot of people moving to different countries. And um, and I think that's going to help us bring a, a fresh perspective sometimes for for jobs as well. So it'll be interesting, though, Bertine, whether or not people will actually physically move or whether we'll start to resource that talent remotely. I mean, given yes. what we've been able to accomplish in the last 20 months, maybe it's not necessary for people to be globetrotting for that next great career move. Maybe they'll be able to do it from wherever they are in the world sure. with a yep. stable internet connection. It's, I mean, it's true. I mean, a lot of companies have used that for, utilized that kind of um, international skill set for years. And, you know, my husband works in pharmaceuticals and they have been doing it for years. And now it's more like, hey, I can get someone that's, right for the job and they don't have to live right next to us um they don't have to live in the same country and it's and it's it's amazing what they can bring to the table um and share a different perspective as well so but that's for sure i think this is probably the best segue only because bertine started talking internationally (laughs) and now you know getting a little bit different questions out here tori if you could live anywhere in the world where would it be Mm-hmm. Pack up your bags tomorrow. All in expenses paid. Private money's jet no limits for you. <laughs> Someone well, will pack up your house for you. Also, okay, <laughs> all right. And everyone's coming with. Yeah, um, I. I mean, we're big skiers, so I would need to be able to ski. And I mean, Vancouver's nice, but it's not quite as exciting as I think it could be. We've always wanted to go to Chile. I've never been there. We've gone so far as to name our dog Chile. (laughs) So 
if I could go anywhere, I think I would move to Chile and be close to Portillo Ski Resort and enjoy some uh, red wine and relax. Oh my gosh, that sounds so good right now. I would love to. We can't wait to get our daughter on skis. She's uh, so excited. They're little pink rockets. And oh my goodness. Our son was able to ski independently at two. So fingers crossed she can beat that record. Oh my gosh, I, I, I've been, I've skied before and I'm, I don't, like, I'm not, I don't do well, but you know, like where <laughs> I feel comfortable is, sh- is snowshoeing. Do you know what I mean? There you go. <laughs> you know, it's where, yeah. where I feel comfortable is in the chalet. <laughs> but drinking hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. You know, what's odd is that skiing was not my forte, but for some reason, when I put both feet on a snowboard, it's better. <gasps> no, never. That yeah, just, see, isn't uh, that weird? No, the idea of being tethered to something and not being able to step move your out feet, of it, right? Yeah, I could. That's, that. that's what I thought, right? And I, <laughs> I'm like, my feet are literally glued together, and I'm like, but for some reason, I felt like I had maybe it's like upper, <laughs> upper body balance. I don't know what it was, or maybe it's the fact that you didn't really need to, you really know what you're doing. <laughs> just kind of <laughs> slid. I just slid down. <laughs> All in a good day's work. As yeah. long as you're outside and having fun, it's good. I don't know why, but skiing seems absolutely terrifying to me. I've never tried it. Oh, so many no. people I know have had really bad accidents. So it fre- I think that freaks me out. And I feel like I would be one of those cartoons where, like, you roll down the hill and you become, like, the snowball with, like, the skis attached to your feet and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just what I imagine. I don't know. <laughs> I'm picturing it too. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Don't take Allison well, and I skiing. Yeah. We'll no, take thanks. it for you. You'll be embarrassed a lot. <laughs> no, never. It's always fun to get people out. I will be waiting at the bottom of the hill with you with uh, some Chilean red wine by the fire. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Tori, what do you do to de-stress? Um, I mean, pre-pandemic, uh, we were big travelers. I, uh, I've had the opportunity to visit 43 countries and I love all of them. Um, with particular emphasis on Jordan and Vietnam. They're gorgeous if you ever get a chance. Um, I love spending time with our family. Obviously, we love skiing. Um, Another big thing for us, my parents live abroad, so it's lovely to to visit with them when they're home in the summer um, because they live in the Middle East and it just gets too hot there for them to be outside, so they come home, which is great. And, you know, if all else fails, I, I love to have a good nap. Oh, my gosh, naps. I love naps, but I can never find the right time that you need for a nap. Because I feel like if when I do, I feel very groggy after and I feel angry. <laughs> oh, no, I feel angry after a nap. But I, I just feel like it wasn't long enough or it was too long. Like I need to find the perfect amount of time for a nap, I feel. I like 90 minutes. It's a one full cycle of REM. So I know that some people can do a 20 minute nap, but I think if I did that, I would be like you and wake up kind of groggy and gross. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's why I feel like, <laughs> like, I just feel like what happened? I don't know where I am. I'm disoriented. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm not where I'm supposed to be when I take these naps. <laughs> maybe. But speaking of naps, like, I'm, I don't know if you guys are, but I can never, I've never slept on an airplane. Like no matter how long the flight is, it just, it's just so hard for me. 
maybe it's like a trust thing <laughs> because I feel like, especially if I'm traveling alone, like I just don't feel safe and I feel really awkward trying to sleep on a plane. I have never been able to, I don't know if I can, or even like, I know I've taken the go train many of time and people just fall asleep right there. And I'm like, no, I don't know. I can't get to the point where I feel comfortable enough to fall asleep <laughs> on public transit or I don't think I can fall asleep on the go train. I mean, what if you missed your stop? An airplane, I, I'm game for, because in theory, you're on the right plane, but, and it's only going one place. But a go train, I mean, what if you do miss your stop while you're snoozing? And I feel like, because, like, I mean, I don't know what I look like when I'm sleeping, but I can't imagine <laughs> it to be very pretty. And, yeah. <laughs> and yes. I don't want, like, someone to, like, take a picture of me. <laughs> Bertine because, overthinks the public sleeping. Allison yeah. oversleeps the trip to Chile. <laughs> <laughs> knowing, no. knowing my luck, though, I'd, fi- I'd probably find, finally fall asleep on an airplane. And then it's like one of those like transit places where you have to get off and like switch airplanes. And I just stay on there and I'm going to a different country altogether. No. And they just didn't check. Uh, <laughs> didn't just check if there's any passengers left. No, I, I don't know what it is. With, with planes, I just feel like I can't get comfortable enough to to fall asleep. And especially if I'm sitting, maybe if I'm sitting next to someone I knew. I'm just thinking, I'm like, I, I don't think I would ever be able to. But I think that if money wasn't an option and you could get one of those sleeper pod ones, oh. I could maybe get en- comfortable enough. Maybe. But I would, you know, maybe also have to have some sort of pill to relax me too. <laughs> but, but I'm also the same person that watches horror movies on flight. So that's also a problem for me. <laughs> Because I feel like the ghost can't get me in there. Because <laughs> you're in a place you can't get 30,000 feet up. <laughs> I don't know. Do you believe that ghosts, when, like, are they in the ground or are they in the air? Um, I'm picturing because walking could... ghosts. Okay. So not flying ghosts. I don't know. Casper went pretty far up. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm thinking. I just feel like they can't get me there. It's not, and it's not my home. It's not. Like, I love scary movies, but we're not best friends. I scream yeah. the whole time. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is too funny. Moving on to, I feel like, a complete 180. Um, when it comes to work or even your personal life, what's your favorite productivity hack? You know, I go old school on this. I have a list with little boxes that I love to put check marks in when the task is complete. And that's really how I organize my thoughts, my day. Number one thing to get done is usually at the top and I work my way through it. So, I mean, that's my productivity hack. It's not exactly the most modern, but um, the other thing I really like to do is I, I like to be the first up in our family, just have, you know, sort of an hour to myself where I can do whatever I so choose um, and set my day up. Um, so that really helps me sort of get myself organized. I don't know about you guys. What do you do? I like getting up early because I've never been that person. Well, not that I enjoy getting up early. I'm not an early bird and I'm not a night person. I'm like a midday person. I'm, <laughs> I'm neither, but I have never been the person that can literally roll out of bed and within five minutes, get up and go to work. I can never do that. Like, even when I was commuting to work, I would have to have, like, 45 minutes at least 
before. I'm not kidding because I would go out. I would like, you know, make lunch, make breakfast, clean the kitchen, get ready, like be in the bathroom, do all that stuff. And that would take 45 minutes. And just like, that's productive. I thought you meant you spent like 45 minutes hitting the snooze button, which. Oh, no. (laughs) I think that's good because you have your own time before the hectic day starts and you can really focus and gather your thoughts and um, just have that. I think that alone time is just so worth it. But for me. I've talked about this before, but my productivity hack is very weird and people will judge me for this, but I like to t- like clean. <laughs> so like, for example, say I like heat something on a kettle, like say I put my kettle on to make a coffee or something. If I like my whole thing is a like, competitive with myself. I like to, before the kettle goes off, I like to empty the dishwasher, put those things away, make the kids lunch like I have like I time myself because I feel like if when I have a timer on myself I can do so much more um but for me that's like a big thing like by the time the microwave has that three minute beep or whatever I'm like shuffling around doing something that I need to do and I find when I do that like it sets the tone for the rest of the day of just massive hurry (laughs) and I'm a big like writing down person as well like I like to write things down I feel like my parents tried to teach me that as a kid with the big comfy couch show and she had the 20 second cleanup or whatever that was because you know that was productive you guys should try next time just like whenever you're getting water for a kettle and you know you have to tackle something just think of me and do that please (laughs) you gotta find your little piece okay so Tori this is kind of like I guess that may be a broad question as well and um but have you ever received criticism or comments in your career that made a positive impact or changed the way you've done things or have you ever taken something that could have been potentially been negative and turned it into something positive yeah I mean I I think that everyone in their career has at some point received criticism or negative feedback and it's difficult to hear it's difficult to process but ultimately the way I've looked at it is This person is telling me this because I'm not being a good team member and I'm not being helpful in the most effective way possible. And so once you're done processing, you know, the the negative feedback that you've received, you you really do need to turn it around and go, okay, how am I going to grow and build from here so that I can be that better teammate? Because it's all about working together, achieving the same goal, whether you're on a traditional team or you're just part of uh, a smaller team. It's important that you're working well with others and that you're not being discounted because you haven't taken that feedback and worked with it. Yeah, for sure. And and I think you're absolutely right because I think the times where I've received sort of negative comments or criticism, I always like to say, okay, let me look at the source of these and figure out what the intention of that is, is that to help promote something positive within the teamwork um, environment? Or is that kind of like a negative thing that someone's just said just for the sake of saying it? And sometimes it can be either one. But if it, if I know it's truly something that's going to help the team, then yeah, it, it, it makes you kind of open your eyes or look at things differently. And I think that's when it can make a positive impact. But if it's coming from a source that may not necessarily want things to change just want to offer that criticism as a negative you know insult then yeah then it, you have to just take what take it for what it is and 
and deal with that on its own, right? Because there's it's always going to be one of those that happen to you and you're going to go, you're going to take it personally. But I think it's important to look at who said it to you and, and try to distance yourself from that. Because if it's not helpful and it's just harmful, um, I think that's very important for someone to look at before they internalize it. Sure. I mean, obviously, I guess I assumed when I was hearing the question that it was constructive criticism. It, you know, obviously it needs to be of a constructive mindset before you put it into action. Yeah, that's what I hope, because if if someone says something to me and I, I always think, OK, where where is that person coming from? Is it something that, you know, I can see that it would be helpful if I change something that I was doing or but if it's just coming from place of hurt or harm and you know sometimes it, it could be both right it could it could hurt I mean we're all human and criticism can hurt right um because you could think you're doing a good job and someone could say well you're not and this is why and just take a step back and see how you can change and if it's worth the change um and if it's truly for the benefit of the team right so or the yeah. organization and I think another avenue is, you know, going back to one of the earlier questions is, you know, rely on your mentors, talk about it with that person who you feel comfortable with and and get some feedback from them about what their perspective is on not only the feedback that you've received, but that person's position in terms of constructive criticism. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I think I don't in my in my past history Whenever I've had negative criticism, and I know it's not for the beneficial of the of the team or the environment, I will just address, address it directly with that person and say, like, why would you say something like that? And it's it's hard because it's not always well intentioned. Sometimes it's, it is to to po- provide a negative feedback to yourself, and sometimes you internalize it. And, and I think you're right. You got to talk to somebody else about it and say, like, why would this person say this like you know and it helps to talk to somebody about it because otherwise it can really hurt someone um and and really take a toll on them because I've seen that happen um and just you have to always consider the source and I think when you're providing that similarly when you're providing that you know constructive criticism you need to be very careful how you package that conversation for sure yes exactly and I and I try to be mindful of that because you have to look look at what your end goal is and it's is it to help or is it to hurt and um not that I ever want to hurt anyone's feelings but I try to ease the conversation to be productive and to help and and then I do always off I always try to offer help with trying the change you know mm-hmm. and no one's perfect and we're just trying to work together but yeah I agree with that I feel like there's so many layers to that question and answers and stuff like that. But something that I've had to work through when people say things to you, they don't always mean it in the way they say it. So I always try and take a step back and really understand like, okay, you know, maybe they're trying to come from in a different way. Maybe I didn't understand it properly. Um, You know, the key thing is that everyone thinks differently than you. Everyone behaves differently than you. And sometimes just trying to put yourself in that other person's shoes can help a little bit. I mean, but that's really how I try and stay calm in like a lot of situations with people because, and just honestly, truly not let it affect me. For sure. Moving on to my, maybe my favorite question. um, The one that is always different for everyone. 
Tori, if you could be part of any TV show, what would it be? Oh, for sure. This one is uh, easy for me. I would love, love, love to be a part of The Amazing Race Canada. I binge watch it constantly. I love all the challenges. I love to travel and the opportunity to to get to see, you know, hidden gems within Canada would be amazing. Never mind. Sometimes they go international. Um, and I even know who I do it with. I do it with my best friend. She's amazing. And uh, she would be horrible at all the eating challenges. But uh, she's great at uh, puzzles and mind games and I would have to do all the high things, but she could do all the running <laughs> things. So no, that's I, good. You compliment each other. We do, we do. We've uh, we've got a 41 year best friendship, and uh, we operate more like sisters than anything else. So I, I think like we would even not be able to read each other's minds, but we can anticipate what the other person is doing or going to do in any situation. I I feel. I think Aaron would say the same. And so I, I just think that, you know, when we read that clue, we would know, boom, exactly who's going to do it. And uh, and we could just be so much more efficient. Wow. I think that's a very smart way to look at it because you want to have someone that has completely different skills or talent than you do so that it d- despite what the actual obstacle or challenge is, one of you would have it. Like one of you would be able to nail it down and the other person would be a support system for that. Um, so you, I think you nailed it, right? Like, that's amazing that you have someone that you could think of off the top of your head that you would do that with. And I would actually love to see you on that show. I feel like I, we need to figure out a way for you to get on that show. <laughs> there you go. We'd, I'd love it. But yeah, that, that's an amazing choice because that's something I would probably be, be very nervous to, to try because I don't know. I, I just, because I didn't, wouldn't know what the challenge is and I feel like, um, I don't know how like I've only watched a few seasons, but I don't know how the extreme the challenge like do would you ever have to like climb a mountain or anything like that? Yeah, I mean you climb mountains, but like you jump off things as well. And like I would do all the jumping things. Aaron would not enjoy that. And uh no, I mean it's it's just a great adventure. The the one challenge that I've seen that I was maybe like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. They were in the um they were none of it, I believe. And they drilled two um, probably like six foot holes in the ice. Mm-mm. And they were probably, I know, just, I, I mean, I'm judging. It was maybe like, I want to say 10, 15 feet apart. And there was um, a rope that went between the two lily pad holes, if you will. And you had to jump into Great Slave Lake and swim under the ice sheet. And I don't know if I could do that. That would like, that's maybe a little extreme. Oh, my gosh. Way. I literally just got so scared when you said that because I was thinking, what if like you couldn't see the other hole for some reason? Yeah, and that's why the rope was there. But still, pa- I, I think I would panic and I would be like, oh, my gosh, like I don't know if I could hold like I, maybe I would just like my, it's mind over matter. But I would feel like I can't see the rope. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I mean, which that's way did I come one, in? <laughs> that's the one challenge that gave me pause where I was like, ooh. <laughs> Yeah. Like if it was you and your best friend versus Allison and I. (laughs) (laughs) We'd have a lot of fun. You would hear a lot of crying. (laughs) Yeah, probably. And screaming. Hopefully a lot of laughter. (laughs) Oh, that too. Well, actually, I do. This is is a weird but true fact about me is that um, whenever I go on roller coasters, I 
scream, but I also laugh out loud because I'm like, we're going to die. We're going to die. <laughs> and the people around me like, stop saying that. <laughs> like the little kids are beside me. They're like, miss, can you stop saying that? <laughs> like, no, we're going to die. <laughs> and I'm like laughing. And the kids are like, how old are you? Like, I'm like seven. And I'm like, don't ask me how old I am. I'm just scared of these things. But I still go on them. Like I go on those really big roller coasters. And I scream, even though I like, and I laugh, and it it comes out as laughter because maybe it's like I'm like laughing to calm myself down. I don't know what it is. So yeah, I'm maybe you nervous would, you would hear laughter. Yeah, you probably would hear laughter. So just know that it's not real laughter. <laughs> <laughs> it's like scary laughter. But no, that's cool. I I always try to think of what show I would go on, and like I I could really I can never think of something that I could commit to other than like a sitcom. Um, like I would love to be a host on a show like the Ellen DeGeneres show or like something like that where I would host like I would oh, it would be a dream to like host next to Oprah or someone um, <laughs> but like I can't see because I just like to talk so that's the only thing I have going for myself right now or if it was a musical show a weird but true fact is I actually was um, I don't even know why I'm saying this about myself because this is like so funny but I actually sang as a backup singer which is not what I was trained for, but um, as for Britney Spears, when she was not even known as Brit, like when she came down, she was performing at Canada's Wonderland, and my teacher was like, she needs a few backup singers, and I was like, who? Ah, that's so much. <laughs> fun. Didn't know who she was, and then I literally saw her on Much Music like the next day, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the la- that's the girl I sang for yesterday. <laughs> I was just like. Oh, she's like famous. I had no idea. Like, I it, it didn't process. I'd never heard of her name prior to that. So, wow, that's so cool. Yeah, what? yeah. I am shocked. It was a, it wasn't like a big stage. It was just literally Cannes Wonderland. You know how that they had that stage there. Yeah, and I also recorded for. And I told this to Siobhan and our team. I also recorded for um the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat with Donny Osmond. Really? Yeah. Our school. <laughs> it's like that's so cool. Yeah. I feel like, Bertine, you would have such good, you know, when you play like the two truths, one lie kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like you would have so many ones that would stump people. Yeah, that's true. Oh my goodness. Some people don't know. Some people don't know what that production was. So sometimes they're like, huh? Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat. Well, that's the last real big question. Um, But before we wrap up, where can our listeners connect with you, Tori, online? Oh, for sure. So um, the Elliston website, which is www.elliston.com, or um, Allison's got my email address, so feel free to reach out uh, via Allison to me, and uh, we'll stay in touch. For sure. Awesome. Thank you so much for participating in our podcast, um, and I was so happy to learn so many new things about you, and and I know that. Uh, We'll, maybe we'll have you again as a, another guest on our, one of our podcasts in the future. So, Well, thanks for the opportunity today. It's always fun to connect with friends and learn a little bit more about Global and you guys as well. Awesome. Thanks so much, Tori. Really appreciate it. Take care, have a great everyone. Day. Bye. Thank you.